Hello and welcome to fourth episode of Troll Expeditions podcast. This is your host Michael and today we have another special guest, Sigvatur. He is the first uh, native Icelander on our podcast and he's unquestionably mountaineering legend around here. He's going to tell us a little bit about himself, his astounding career in mountaineering and uh, guiding. And in the end we shall touch upon our newest expedition that we've added this year, trips to the tallest summit of Iceland, Kvanadalsnukur. So I've been mentally getting ready for this interview for, for a couple of months now, maybe even years, I suppose, uh, literally since I have met you. And uh, you are certainly the most experienced mountaineer working with us. And as far as I know, uh, one of the most experienced alpinists in Iceland. As I'm always putting it, uh, you're basically a living legend. It's an immense pleasure to have you over. Hello. Thank you very much. So when and where did you actually start to climb mountains? Well, uh, I would say I was around eight, eight years old when I started with my father and my grandfather. So we did uh, hike or climb up to the mountain called Vivelfell in the neighborhood of Reykjavik. And uh, I would say that, yeah, it's in, in, in the jeans, uh, climbing mountains. Uh, in the jeans, so basically your whole family used to climb mountains as well? Uh, yeah, you could say that. My wife was a very keen hiker and my kids are both hikers and climbers. It's beautiful uh, sort of heritage and, you know, something to pass over to the next generations. I think the love for mountains, isn't it? Yeah, you can say so. And even my granddaughter, she started climbing six years old. So, wow. coming on. <laughs> she uh, climbing in a gym or just? No, just outside. She has gone with me both to the glaciers and mountains. Beautiful. Can't wait to take my kids as well. It's uh, like uh, one of my dreams, basically. But I'm not sure, you know, because I remember I used to listen to some podcasts with some famous mountaineers and I think I, I, I'm not exactly remember who said it, but uh, somebody said that to the question, like, would you take your kids or teach them to climb rocks, for example? It's like, yes, as far as the, the summertime, you know, alpinism, yes, but not wintertime alpinism, you know, so that would be like the, the bar that the parents sometimes set for their kids, I suppose, in the mountaineering world, like. Because this is already too risky, avalanches and stuff like that, you know. So. Yeah, that, that, that's just normal, you know. It is. You have, a, you know, concern for your kids, of course. So yeah. You have, to have, you have to have some limits, of course. That's the risk, basically, yeah, that yeah, you have yeah. to take, yeah. Exactly. And how do you personally think when you're surrounded by mountains? Yeah, I simply love it. Uh, I like it very much and uh, it's kind of a passion with me because uh, it's both my job and my hobby to stay as much as I can in the, in the mountains. It's a very good... Yeah. Very good feeling. Yeah, good feeling. I remember when I first arrived in Skaftafet a couple of years ago, was it eight years ago now? I think, yeah, yeah. You know, the plateau where you go up hiking in a national park, and then, then there is a rock that overlooks the, it's the one that called uh, Skaftafetjökull. Yeah. Uh, so the glacier, so you can stand on a rock and look down on one of the beautiful, beautiful outlets, all cracked up with all the features visible from above, and the weather was completely impeccable that day. So, uh, so I was just, I uh, was flabbergasted. And uh, I remember, I don't know if I already said this story on a previous podcast or not, but I hope not. And maybe uh, our listeners are not binging them. So it was the same story. But if I haven't, just to make sure, I have very deep feelings and emotions uh, when I'm surrounded by, by beauty, by natural beauty. So actually, I, that day when I looked down on Skaftavajukut and looked around and uh, the weather was so beautiful, the sea was glittering in the distance, I started crying. Yeah, I can quite well understand that because it's uh, one of the most beautiful surroundings you, you have in, in, in the world from my point of view, you know, looking at the two of the biggest mountains of Iceland, you know, Ravejökull and Hrutfjallstindar uh, and then all the outlets all around. So it's, a, it's a quite a beauty. The view is uh, just uh, nothing short of stunning. I know that your passion for peaks took you to Alps. And how did you come up with the idea to go there, actually? 
The reason simply was that uh, it was the only way to get more education in mountain climbing and uh, guiding and uh, rescue works in mountains. So simply decided to, to go there in the beginning for uh, three months and stay there and uh, do my education and on and on and on again and again and again. So so did you, in a sense, fell in love with the Alps? Uh, uh, you can say that, yeah. I always go there as, as many times as I can, year by year. And then I know that uh, at some point you basically realized that uh, you want to be also taking people up the summits. How would you say you realized that guiding people up to the summits is your thing? I would say that was just the feeling I got very early in my uh, mountaineering career. Uh, uh, it was uh, quite nice. And I started, of course, uh, bringing some of my colleagues in the, in the mountain rescue work here in Iceland. I, was, uh, I have been a member of that all my life. So I started uh, doing some guiding for them and teaching and After that, I decided to become a mountain guide and uh, did that uh, in a few steps, first in Austria, then in Switzerland and then in Scotland. And uh, after that, uh, there was no return, of course. But uh, at the beginning, the season was very short, so it was not a full-time job. So I decided to become an economist also and worked as an economist for yeah, 15 years and then full-time, 25 years in, as a mountain guide. In the beginning, you said the work was scarce uh, in the, or rather seasonal. So you would say that you uh, used to be guy during the summertime only? Or yeah, it was only ju July and August. No, you know, visitors came here nearly in the wintertime at all. Especially for not for the climbing. These days, uh, people go up uh, all year round, right? Was it because of the, the, the sort of attitudes were different uh, towards uh, alpinism in um, uh, wintertime? Yeah, both uh, attitudes and, and knowledge, you know. It's uh, possible to do it all year round, of course, and... Uh, It's everywhere like that. It was uh, the same in, in the in the Alps, of course. Uh, the main season was there in two and a half, three months, uh, same as here. That's only uh, June and July, yeah? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and much. in the Alps, uh, August and September in the, in the Alps, but in these years. I think conditions in the Alps actually are changing these days. Uh, I've read that it's becoming more and more challenging because of the permafrost disappearing due yeah. to the warming up. Yeah, that's right. Because, because uh, when you could uh, simply stay on the crampons more or less all the way up to the mountains, now you have to do some rock climbing, big part of the route. So it's a totally different uh, situation, so it's really and more well, difficult, of course. I've also heard that the rocks are falling apart, literally. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Nothing's holding them together anymore. No, yeah. that, that's right, that's... Well, that's one of the things that uh, just sort of challenges for the future generations that uh, are going to be mountaineering yeah, that yeah. would become like more and more dangerous actually. Yeah, it yeah? is. Yeah, yeah. Especially everywhere in the world actually. Yeah. Whenever you look at it, whatever it's Iceland and the European Alps or the Himalayas or whatever, it's everywhere the same. But we never had permafrost here in Iceland, so that doesn't concern us that much, does it? No, not so much, but uh, we have problems when, when the ice is leaving and we have this solid rocks left, you know, uh, very steep ones and not a very hard one to do some rocks and it's difficult to do the rock climbing. Yeah, yeah. Have these poor rocks, you know, the rotten rocks. I'm aware of that. I have uh, come up on some, especially on Essian. I yeah. It's a great uh, climbing route there, Svarti Turtin. Yeah, exactly. That, uh, that we did and I had no trouble with it, but uh, I, I know of a friend of mine that actually, I, I think he pulled out a massive stone, you know, and it's always hard when that happens. You Basically, you just pull something out down on, the, on your belayer, yeah. down on the ground, and yeah. this can be fatal. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a horrible thing, of course. Yeah, but uh, not all the mountains are like that, of course. Some, oh, no. some are great. I did actually Vesterhout this uh, summer. Yeah, Vesterhout is uh, probably one of the best for rock climbing in Iceland. Yeah. It was quite stable. Yeah, it's very stable it because that's uh, that's uh, the oldest part of Iceland is there, so that's why we have these solid rocks there. I see. From what I know, you are an EIVBV or EVAVBV. How do we say that actually? The certified guide. Uh, yeah, IVBV. 
It's the International Guide Association. And it's the most prestigious one, isn't it? It is, yes. I know that to become a member, uh, one has to go through a rigorous training and even to qualify for the training, uh, one has to come up with a hefty portfolio of climbs and summits. So I'm curious about the details of the training process. How did you prepare for the training and how demanding the training itself was? The knowledge, of course, we get from all the training. Yeah, I got in Austria and Switzerland and, and Scotland especially. And then, of course, uh, collecting gigs and uh, experience. Experience was uh, yeah, the most important part, of course. It was more important uh, in these days than it is today. So it took, uh, took us about two years to get these licenses back in the years. But today it takes at least four to five years. Well, so they have somehow uh, expanded the process. Actually. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't uh, maybe as as demanding as it as it used to be. In, uh, no, it was not. But did you have to have a portfolio as well? Yeah, uh, back in those have, days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How long did you uh, take to actually collect all the summits and all the routes in order? To... Uh, it was about four years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah. So it's a pretty long qualification process yeah, yeah. in of itself, right? Yeah, yeah. So maybe if you do that, I suppose this is like a pretty good amount of experience that lets you qualify yeah, for, of a, course, yes. for a course. You have to, have to do that, yeah, of course. And I want to ask you, actually, which summits are you personally most proud of? Uh, the ones that you did on your own without uh, clients? I would say maybe yeah, the North Wall of Eicher in, in the center of Switzerland and the North Wall of uh, Matterhorn, probably the most, most challenging one outside Iceland. But here in Iceland, I would say the southwest face of uh, Rutfjallstindar is the most challenging one. Is it the one that faces the Svinashik? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it very challenging, really? It is, yes, it is. Okay, I, I used uh, I used to look at those pictures, you know, and uh, the topo on our websites, and I have to say, like, uh, we were even planning going up there, but uh, you said it is quite challenging. What's the uh, today? It's even more challenging because of the you know the melting of the ice. In the early days, it was easier when you did go it in the winter time. You simply went on your crampons all the way up to the top. Yeah, it was simply a steep ice climb, ice and snow climbing with, uh, of course, ice axes and everything and, and uh, safety things. How long would it take? Depending on the conditions, of course, but all the way from uh, 15, 20 hours up to 30, 35 hours, depending on the conditions. Including the, the rappel. Yeah, yeah. It is a very long climb. I yeah, it is, say. yes. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I had no idea that it's so demanding to go up mm. the in there, but yeah, it uh, sounds like it. And uh, you said uh, the north face of Eiger and Matterhorn, that yeah, is like yeah. pretty much uh, the gold medal or something in the mountain. Yeah, we can, yeah? Yeah, we can say that even though, yeah. Eiger is uh, 1800 meters face and uh, Matterhorn is a little bit shorter. It's about yeah, between 14 and 1500 meters. A mixture of all kinds of uh, climb, ice, snow and rocks all the way up, depending on in which time of year you go up there. I did uh, Matterhorn both in winter and summertime and uh, Eiger in summertime. Wow, nothing short of amazing, I gotta say. I don't think I would personally do that. Like it's, uh, I think it's a little too scary for me. Oh, never know. Yeah. <laughs> never know. <laughs> you never know where the life takes you, right? Yeah, exactly. Which summits were the most demanding to take your clients to? I would say maybe the north face of Raiton. I took clients up there. It's in the southern part of Switzerland. Going up to Kvarnaldarsnjökur, so up the Virkisjökur. It uh, can be quite tricky. Uh, the Virkisjökull uh, yeah, route, yeah, not yeah. the one that we're taking with the tourists. No, 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 um, no, yeah. no, no, no. And uh, why would you say this route is demanding? Yeah. Is it because of Bergsund or? Yeah, yeah, both Bergsund and, and just, uh, you know, it can be very different uh, conditions between time periods of, of the year. If you go there, uh, for example, uh, autumn time, it can be quite tricky climbing up and down the ice. And it's quite steep on some parts. I think it was one of the guys that used to work for us in Skaftavet. And uh, another one, they went down skiing. Yeah. I think they went down skiing that yeah. route, actually. 
Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. Uh, in the winter time. It's quite uh, quite yeah. easy to do it on skiing because then all the crevasses are full of snow. You know? Yeah, but he did fell into a crevice. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, a little You've bit. Seen yeah, yeah. Video, yeah. It, it, one, yeah. It was a near miss. We can call it. Yeah, <laughs> because he actually stopped just a couple of yeah. meters below the hole yeah, exactly. on the ledge, but yeah. the crevice would go yeah, uh, exactly. many meters down below. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. He was he, he was lucky to escape with his yeah, life. Yeah. Wasn't he? yeah, yeah, very lucky. Very lucky, I'd say. Yeah. So uh, gotta pick the right route for the for the time and definitely for the. Yeah, the skills the most absolutely. important is uh, yeah the conditions after time you know but that wouldn't be the route that we take our customers no no no, no. that's would, too challenging no, no of not course not which mountains in iceland did you find uh, most challenging would you say this uh, route Tental is, is of course very challenging and uh, maybe i would mention uh, the west face of skarsheide or skessuhorn in skarsheide in the west part of an borgarfjörður climbing up there in the winter time which was quite challenging and you think so yeah yeah it is yeah yeah I was thinking of doing it next winter. Actually. Yeah, it's, it's challenging, but it's about a very nice one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What's so challenging about that one? I think it's pure ice, isn't it? Though. Yeah, it's snow and ice. Uh huh. Yeah. So you gotta take a bunch of snow pickets as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. How many would you take? Yeah, at least four, five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I see. It's definitely one of my dreams to yeah. go up uh, Skesuhot. So that's, that's a very nice one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm a total couch alpinist, so I basically devour books on mountaineering expeditions, and I know there is a huge audience uh, for that sort of thing. So let's give our listeners something heart-pounding. Can you fill us in on some thrilling expeditions you've done in your life? Yeah, I would say getting stuck in, 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 in bad weather conditions. That's the most challenging one, I would say. I was stuck, for example, for four days in the, in the roots of Öravegul or Kvannadalsnjúkur, up there, high up there, and 1,600 meters high for four days. But it was challenging just weather-wise, but not technically, of course. But uh, one time I went up to this hotel centers, of course. It was uh, we ended up in completely mad weather, so we did have to climb all the way up in without uh, knowing where to go. Actually, we just simply climbed up in horrible weather, and and we ended up being lucky, and it was okay. But, yeah, I would mention these two two things, but yeah, and there are many others. Of course. And any near misses that you had? Yeah, I went up twice in in avalanches, of course, but was lucky. My friends did find me alive. Oh, so you were buried? Yeah. yeah oh, really? Yeah, wow. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. That's, that's the worst feeling I've got in uh-huh. my life. Yeah. Or uh-huh. the worst, yeah. How long did uh, it take him to find you, actually? It was about 25 minutes. Also, it was quite a hefty amount, yeah. 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 And did you have some air pocket? or with, uh, No, it was nothing like that. In those days, we did have little lines. We called avalanche lines. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they couldn't just uh, follow them and, and to the, where I was. It was my luck. But today, of course, we have this beep. So there was no beacons back then? No, no, no. So you were you had uh, basically a, a string or a rope yeah, attached a little, to you? A little, little line, you know, a uh-huh. thin line, red line. So we could follow each other if we, if we were to find the line, of course. Interesting. Yeah. I had no idea about that. Yeah. That sounds very sort of rudimentary. Yeah. Because imagine like the line gets covered for like yeah, 100 yeah. meters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're not really sure where the person no, is. No, not at all. But uh, of course, things change and mm-hmm. like the equipment we're using. Definitely the technology made it a little safer uh, for us to to do that, yeah. Yeah. So now even if something like that happens in a very sort of challenging expedition, it's easy to find somebody that gets covered up by avalanche. That's much easier today, yeah. Like when you were stuck on uh, Abteron Raivayukut in bad weather for four days, you had a tent or... No, no, we simply just take ourselves into the snow and stay there. Yeah, and yeah. just in a snow hole. Yeah, yeah. And you just sat in a snow hole yeah, for yeah. days. Yeah, yeah. Wow. That was nothing else to do. Uh, it was completely bad weather. Out, what outside. about food? We did have a very limited of food, but that was okay. And did you have a stove to melt water as well? Yeah, we did have that, yeah. 
Okay. So we'd have something, something to drink. So at least that's good, yeah. Yeah. And then when the storm passed, cleared up, it was probably beautiful weather, yeah, spectacular yeah, yeah, view. Yeah, fantastic, of course. <laughs> <laughs> the most beautiful view you can catch from there. After four days stuck yeah. in the snow, yeah. you especially, get out. Especially after that. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a doozy there, you know, to be stuck in the snow for four days. There. That's something that uh, you only find in, uh, definitely in the mountaineering books, absolutely. A couple of years ago, we were talking in Basecamp in Skaftafet, and you mentioned you climbed those rocky spikes sticking out of the ocean, the Black Sand Beach. as a pretty daring endeavor, in my opinion. And how did you come up with the idea to do that? It was just a crazy idea from some young climbers there. We were young then and stupid, but I, I suppose I would not do that today because the rocks are very rotten and, and poor, you know. We were lucky, actually. We simply had to sail in a little boat, you know, Zodiac boats over to the peaks and then climb up and trust on the luck. You say it was falling apart, yeah? Yeah. Uh, it uh, still is, yeah. Yeah, it still is. Sounds interesting, though. Uh, I mean, in a sense. Yeah. And uh, what about another prominent summit, as one that was featured in the seventh season of uh, Game of Thrones? Uh, I'm talking about Kirkjufet on, on Snipers Nest. I always look at it. I actually have never been to the top. There's higher and more exciting mountains around, but I know that uh, there's plenty of people that went up there and never came back. I suppose uh, uh, because of weather, you know, they chose the wrong route down and somehow. Uh, uh, not may- maybe not many, but some people. Some, yes. yeah, yeah, but in a normal day. The route is, uh, it's not so difficult to you. It is simply a scrambling up to the top, easy way. But you can find a very difficult one. Of course, yeah. Yeah, but the, the easy normal one is, is just a kind of a scrambling. And back. Yeah. That's probably the scariest part, though. Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah. I'm always the... It is, uh, the back is uh, more tricky, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm always uh, completely terrified by the, the rock yeah, rubble. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just uh, sort of my bane, you know, this when I, really when I'm uh, climbing, I don't really think about, you know, the difficulties I had, and just go up. But when it comes to coming down, you know, and you got lots of this loose rock, I think yeah. this is very common in, in Alps as well, yeah. isn't it? <clears throat> yeah, it's more, uh, even more common here in Iceland, mm-hmm. because we have in Alps a lot of roots which are quite st- solid, but yeah. of course also loose rocks. Yeah. So very tricky and dangerous. Lukas, a friend of mine, he told me he used to uh, go a lot to Dolomites. He said that's like a very common thing there. Yeah, that's, that's, rock yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. But fortunately, uh, usually we only have to do it on the way down. And sometimes it's easy uh, to slide down on your ass even as yeah. I did <laughs> on, uh, down the Vestrahort. Yeah, yeah. And many cases, yes. We rappelled off the top and then, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then just slide it down. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, just like kids down there. Yeah. That was uh, very beautiful as well, the, the, the summit there. So I'm going to start segueing into uh, the trip to Kvanadashnikur. Uh, so this is the tallest summit of Iceland. It's uh, 2,110 meters, correct? Uh, well, I used the figure 19. Mm-hmm. as the 19, old figure yeah. from the old books, but uh, it's not. It's always changing. You never know mm-hmm. what's accurate size. But so it's often, changing because of the snowfall. Yeah, right? snow, the snow layers are up and down. You know, but in the old books it was 2,119. But uh, then suddenly some people said, "Yeah, we did measure it 2,110." It's about that. I have a question. Once I was on a glacier hike with someone, uh, with another guide, I think, and uh, I heard the story. I have no idea who that was, by the way, so I cannot really corroborate or like get back. But I heard some stories from uh, mountain guides in Iceland, and it's almost always impossible to pick them apart and say if this is true or not. So I will ask you if you ever heard of that uh, back when Iceland was still a part of Danish dominion, and the king of Denmark sent his surveyors here to Iceland to measure exactly how tall is the tallest mountain in Iceland. And yep. they came back with this figure. It was uh, 2,110 
19. 19, yeah. yeah. That's the Danish figure. Yeah, but but <laughs> but uh, listen to the story. So yeah, this is yeah. not so they yeah. came back when 2110 yeah, meters, yeah, yeah. and then uh, they came back and uh, here's the report. It's 2110, and uh, in fact, I think the tallest mountain in Sweden is. 2115 or, or 17 or something mm. like that and the danish king he said you know what you go back and serve it again okay and then you come back with with better results and so they came back with uh, with a new figure which is yeah. one meter taller than the tallest I've, mountain I've heard, I've heard this explanation yes yes but i don't know if it's right or not <laughs> you don't know it either if it's no uh, no true. i don't know it's true no no i don't know it's an interesting story but i've heard it i'm thinking you know we gotta one day go down to the bottom of it basically and yeah. find out if it's a fact or it's just yeah, a yeah. story that some guy uh, came yeah but up with. you know all these all these peaks of, uh, of the glacier they are always changing you know yeah but it varies between years can be varies between 10 20 meters even the takeaway from the story is uh, is just that the kings are also jealous uh, of yeah, each of other you know and uh, this one wanted to have <laughs> yeah, a bigger course. mountain and the, really the biggest mountain in in, uh, in denmark is 100 meters isn't it yeah 160 yeah. something <laughs> yeah. so it's it <laughs> yeah iceland definitely wins there when did you go up the first time to Kvanada Snukur and how many times you've been there actually? First time I went up there was uh, 1968 when I was 14 years old and uh, I've been there up there on the top uh, 125 times. Wow, 125 times. Um, yeah. Impressive. You go there a couple of times per year, like yeah, constantly. More, yeah, more or less, yes. Mm -hmm. yes. Some years more, some years less. Which uh, seasons are your favorite to go there? The springtime is uh, far the best time for usually we go there between middle of March until middle of June, but you can actually go there every time of year, but if you find some winters in the, in the weather, but yeah, I would say 99% of all tours are done in the, in the springtime and we only bring passengers up there in, in the springtime. Absolutely. Yeah. What are the, some of the technical difficulties that uh, people may encounter when going up to the summit of Kvanadasnjukur? It is more or less pretty easy hike, except maybe the last 100 meters. They they are different different between years. How the how the snow and ice layers are up there. It can be a little little climb, ice climbing. Yes, some some years, but sometimes it's just easy hike all the way. First of all, just you have to be physically in good shape to be able to do these tours. It's a long hike, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I would say yeah. Normal time is maybe from twelve to eighteen hours or something like that, depending on the conditions. It can be less, can be more, but this is the average. I would say near to sixteen, eighteen hours. What do you think is the the fastest that anybody went up there? There was a colleague of ours, mountain guide. Uh, he went up there in uh, just around three hours. Wow, yeah, that's the fastest one. He ran. Yeah, more. Yeah, I was walking very fast. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, the fastest I've been doing this was three hours and 45 minutes. So wow. Far away from that. <laughs> not too far away from no, that. No. Basically, when you walk really, really fast, you can get there in three hours and 45 yeah, minutes. Yeah, yeah, you can do that. Uh -huh. But that really requires that's, that's the best conditions, you know, solid, hard mm -hmm. ice all the way, you know. Yeah. So you don't have to use any equipment at all. You can even use your low sneakers even to yeah. walk all the way up. And just uh, micro spikes. I yeah, think. yeah, even not yeah. spikes, you know. We're talking only about summiting and then you have to go back yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. It takes yeah, less yeah. because it's downhill, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Wow, interesting. I had no idea. I always, you know, have this in my head. 12 hours, you know, minimum. Probably 16 hours. Yeah, that's that's a round trip, you know, for our mm -hmm. tour here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Enough said, going up Kvanadashnikur is best done with an experienced uh, mountain guide. So what kind of service do we uh, exactly provide as troll expeditions to our clients who uh, want to take up the tallest summit with us? 
number one safety. Safety first. We are uh, yeah qualified guides and we, we do the best way and we uh, hand over necessary equipment if people use that, like to use that, of course. And uh, people have to have, uh, of course, very good clothes and good hiking boots. And we offer them uh, crampons, ice axes, helmets, harnesses to use. And uh, do you rope up all the way? Or when do you start mm, Yeah, we rope up and when we come on the glacier, not, mm-hmm. not, not in the hillsides up to around 1,000 meters or so. So we also provide the ropes? Yeah, of course. Sure, yeah. Yeah, of course yeah. What uh, type of rope are you using usually? In these doors, uh, just climbing ropes, varying from 9 to 11 millimeters thick. Mm-hmm. They are solid and safe Yeah, for these doors. So we get ropes, crampons, and uh, that's the, the equipment we're getting. That's uh, Well, I mean, definitely good clothes, you know, they, they cannot hurt. Uh, what else yeah, it's would very you necessary, do? of yeah. course, yeah, you, because you can ho- have all the four seasons on the way up there and down, you know, going in a sunny weather and you can end up in a completely crazy weather, even though the weather for Forecast is good, so you have to have very good clothes. Yeah. It is one of those mountains that creates its own weather, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You never know. You never know no. exactly. What would you suggest if our customers wanted to book it with us, for example? What sort of clothing would you suggest to take with them? And what sort of equipment should they come with, you know, in order to uh, participate like fully and uh, be well prepared for it? Yeah, of course, they have to have three layers, of course, and then vortex uh, jackets and uh, hiking or climbing pants. And good hiking boots, half stiff at least, at least. The fourth, that would be best, or fully stiff, that's the best. And then, of course, gloves and hats and things like that. Would you say, like, maybe two or three pairs of gloves wouldn't be, like, yeah, a bad uh, idea, uh, right? At, yeah, that's very good. At least two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they can easily get wet. And even, except you have a very good glo- woolen gloves, then they, they are always the best. They're always the best, yeah. 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 Maybe a pair of uh, waterproof mittens yeah, over yeah, exactly. them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I might add definitely a headlamp, you know, the worst yeah, option to have with you as well. Yeah, 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 you have to have to do that actually if you go in early times in the, in the springtime, you know. You usually start early in the night, maybe one or two o'clock in the, in the night. And uh, in March and April, they can have a darkness and we have to have, a, have these headlamps, of course. And what sort of food would you recommend people taking up when joining an expedition yeah. with them? In, in a kind of like this it's just uh, you know we call it uh, mountaining uh, food we mix up uh, chocolate raisins and nuts to have and then just bread and uh, coffee or tea or something like that the most important thing mm-hmm. so yeah. always get a thermos yeah, uh, with yeah, you yeah, with yeah, some uh, yeah. warm drink yeah that's very necessary i know there is a brand out there somewhere i don't remember exactly what it is but for our listeners if you like research the internet somehow there is a brand of that makes thermoses that are actually like apparently the best for mountaineering as in they hold the warmth of the drink the longest so this is like specifically designed for that because usually they yeah. the thermos it maybe keeps your uh, drink warm for a couple of hours and yeah. then it's cold that's right and then you might want to uh, drink something warm uh, after eight hours rather than yeah you uh, have to do that yeah. Yeah. yeah so there's definitely some equipment there that uh, just came up maybe a couple of years ago that's uh, really really cool to have uh, if you're planning to do that so just prepare yourself and what do you think about like generally water bottles isn't that uh, an issue sometimes that the water inside the water bottle just freezes yeah, over no no we, we think of this also yeah 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 a water bottle, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, would you say collapsible is better, or yeah, yeah, collapsible. Yeah, so it doesn't take too much space. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you personally, as a guide, have a stove with you as well to melt uh, water? In case I always do that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just as for safety. Of course. And uh, do you um, uh, also take uh, some sort of a shelter or tent with you as a guide? 
Yeah, I do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just so, in case of bad weather. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And I also have an extra two way for the for if the clients get sick or collapse or something like that. What? Sorry, what do you have? Uh, kind of a two way, you know. A two way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Way, yeah, yeah. You mean like BV back, yeah, or something like that? No. Yeah, yeah. I have a BV back, but uh-huh. then two way. Then now no, it's just a jacket with a uh, made of down, you know. Yeah, next for down jacket. Yeah, 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 yeah for clients, yeah. of course. So yeah, uh, what uh, sort of level of preparation and fitness do you think is expected of our clients that want to join a Hanas Nuker expedition? It is always, you know, difficult to <laughs> explain the exact way to do this, but uh, you have to be in a good physical condition. I can I can say because otherwise you will not enjoy it. I sometimes say if you can walk up to Asia, the mountains here ahead of Reykjavik and the capital, ten times in a row and within one hour, then you're okay. Ten times in a row up yeah. to the summit of Essien in one hour. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't take like um, 30 minutes to hike up Essien at least if you're running. Yeah, you can very fast. It's uh, yeah, 30, 35 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then do it in a row. I mean, the day by day. Oh, day by day. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah something like that. You know. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Maybe within two or three weeks it would be okay doing ten times. So if, uh, our, for our listeners, Essien is about 1,000 meters tall. Um, so, uh, that's, uh, that's what we're saying. And then, uh, for those of you who are from us, it's about 3000 uh, feet. That's a great recommendation. I think like there's uh, definitely level of fitness that is required. I mean, you don't want to just stop in the middle of the no, hike. You know, and if you're not in good t- conditions, you don't enjoy it at all. You are yeah. so tired and exhausted all the way. So that's not a very good thing to do. It's a, it's, it becomes basically a torture. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nothing, nothing else, mm-hmm. you know, nothing else. Yeah. yeah. Enough said, if you're well prepared, rather fit, and uh, then uh, it's a great thing to do, absolutely. Yeah. But would you say it's, I always hear about uh, expeditions to Everest, and you know how they uh, used to say that we will get anyone up there, even in like moderately uh, fit. Yeah, that's that's a stupid thing to say. Mm-hmm. I would never say so, so anything, anything like that, even about Erevegut, you know, another snooker. Of course. That's, that's a stupid thing, you know. And yeah. I, I think nowadays they have restricted all you know all the rules in, in Himalayas and in Nepal. They will not be able to to carry people up there anymore. Yeah, and killing them as, as they have been doing. Yeah. They used to just drag people yeah, up yeah, there, yeah, yeah. the Sherpas, yeah, and then they simply yeah. killed them there because they the paid so much. Yeah, you know, and yeah. okay, we'll get you there. Yeah. We'll just drag you up there. But um, that's not allowed anymore. That since the rules last year. I think it's for the better. Yeah, of course, yeah. I think it's just putting people's life uh, in danger. Yeah, exactly. Then you just lower the requirements, yeah. you know, and suddenly like yeah, everybody yeah. wants to do it. Yeah, yeah exactly. And uh, it's good to remember that uh, like good physical fitness is just uh, just a great way to go. Yeah. We have a recommendation how to prepare uh, for this challenging trip. That's good. Uh, maybe 10 times the, in a row, go up a 1000 meter mountain. And um, we know about the season already. So that would be um, springtime, yeah. Springtime, yeah. April, yeah. May. April, May. It's June, the best. Yeah. yeah, yeah, middle of June, okay. And um, what sort of weather conditions uh, can we expect during this season, um, during our hike to Kalanashnukar? You can actually expect everything, uh-huh. all the way from, you know, beautiful weather up to completely mad snowstorms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would our um, uh, expeditions be cancelled? If we know it, then we will cancel uh-huh. them in forehand, of yeah. course, but if we can end up in like that, then we... Uh, Unexpectedly. Say, yeah, yeah. Can do that, but then we simply go by our experience and knowledge and know how to know the way back. And that's a three or four experience guide. How many, for example, GPS devices are usually carried with you? I take the two, usually two myself, and then compasses also and things like that because the GPSs they can fail. They can fail. Yeah, but not the compass. 
That's true. It's a, a sort of a golden goose, you know, of mountaineering yeah. because these days we got GPS devices, so yeah. the compass, it fell out of use. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I learned how to use them. But it's quite exciting. But at the same time, of course, it's unwieldy, you know. You have to yeah, it's, it's very necessary, you yeah. know. Yeah. yeah, you have to spend time, you know, to somehow calculate it, etc. So uh, the GPS devices certainly made it uh, easier for us. But then, you know, as we say, everything that's digital, everything that's a computer can fail. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, we're stuck with uh, what our great, great, great grandfathers were using forever. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> but this is always things, you know, climbing and, and hiking, all these things. This is all learning by doing, you know. Yeah. That's, that's the main thing. Just practice. Just practice. That's the, that's the main thing. And uh, what sort of views uh, can we expect during the hike to Kvanazashnyukr? Yeah, from my point of view, it's the, one of the most beautiful view you can get. You, because uh, sky is usually very clear there and we have a good weather, no pollution. We have these beautiful mountains all around. Some of the most yeah, highest and or tallest and most beautiful mountains and glaciers in, in Iceland, of course. And uh, even if you compare it to the world, it's a fantastic view there. I can promise you that. How safe is it to go with us? Uh, it is quite safe. We are, uh, of course, doing this just the same way. We will not do, take any chances at all. Safety first in all respects, all the way. If there are problems being, you know, there can open up crevasses, then we have we simply have to take our decisions there to return. That's the way we do it. If there is a dangerous things to overcome or cross, we simply return. That's very simple. Yeah. We would never take any chances at all. Of course. Yeah, that uh, satisfies me. In the end, I would like to uh, to share with us what sort of emotions go through your mind when you summit a big mountain like that. Like, how satisfying can it be? Now, I just want you to share with our listeners, you know, what can they expect to feel when they arrive at the top? It is actually impossible to, to you know, describe that in words, you know. You have to experience that yourselves. It's, 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 it's so beautiful and so exciting and fantastic. It's totally impossible for me to describe that. People say that when they come up there. I didn't believe that. It oh, really? Like that. Yeah. Everybody says ne- that. Nearly everybody says mm-hmm. that. I would not have imagined it would be like that. I uh, usually have it when I uh, go into the mountains that uh, as the hike goes on, after a couple of hours, my mind just uh, clears and calms down, you know, and there's no banter and there's no chatter, you know, in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sort of this effect that uh, being uh, hiking through the mountains in the beautiful surroundings and uh, with this constant, you know, sort of effort uh, from your body that brings this clarity. Yeah, and, exactly. Uh, it's and, just the anxieties, the fears, uh, the stress, it just goes away. Yeah, everything goes away, you know, and it's even the best way to relax from my point of view. If I need to relax, simply go to some of the mountains near to my home, you know, walk up there and just relax. Even though it's, you know, challenging way, you know, physically, but in your mind, it's the best way to relax. Far the best. Uh, I agree. Uh, so for all of our listeners that may or may not join us for uh, our Fanados Nukur expedition, at least, you know, take a chance and to go up uh, the nearest mountain that's uh, right next to your home and clear up your mind, let the anxiety settle and uh, just uh, lean into it, you know, and the beauty of nature and the beautiful spectacular views that uh, the nature and the mountains and uh, can offer and the perspective on life and the surroundings yeah. as well, I think. Exactly. Very important to me, for sure. So uh, on this note, we will finish our interview with the mountaineering legend, Sigbatur. It was a huge pleasure to have you here. Thank you very much. And for our listeners, you can book a departure to Kvanadasnukur through our website, troll.is. That's T-R-O-L-L dot I-S. And we will see each other on the summit. Uh, Have fun and uh, bye for now.